Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. A key hearing is underway in a criminal case against former President Donald Trump in Florida. The presumptive GOP presidential nominee is fighting charges that he unlawfully withheld and concealed classified documents after he left office. A federal judge will decide whether to grant Trump's request to delay the trial currently scheduled for May. Here's NPR's Greg Allen. U.S. District Judge Eileen Cannon, a Trump appointee, has pushed back previous deadlines and is considering scheduling a hearing to allow Trump's lawyers to argue that the prosecution by special counsel Jack Smith is politically motivated. The lawyers also are seeking to have the case dismissed because of presidential immunity, a claim now scheduled for arguments in the Supreme Court. The special counsel wants Judge Cannon to dismiss those claims and a motion by Trump to disclose the names of potential witnesses before they testify. Prosecutors say disclosing the names would subject them to potential threats, intimidation, and harassment. With all this, legal experts say there's a good chance the trial will be postponed. Greg Allen, NPR News, Miami. Protesters in Israel have been calling for early elections in the country and for Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to step down. In a speech last night, Netanyahu made his case against holding elections now. We have more from NPR's D. Parvaz. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu warned against what he called extremist demands for elections, saying that an early vote during the war would, quote, mean defeat for Israel. Netanyahu is trying to avert a potential political crisis around an issue that could bring down his coalition and force new elections, whether to continue exempting ultra-Orthodox Jews from the military draft. He signaled support for enlisting ultra-Orthodox men into the military, with the current stay on compulsory service for ultra-Orthodox Jews expiring on March 31st. The move might anger Netanyahu's ultra-Orthodox supporters in the parliament, who helped form the coalition that has given the prime minister a narrow majority. Deep Harvaz, NPR News, Tel Aviv. Whiteout blizzard conditions are forecast for portions of Northern California and Nevada. It's expected to bring hurricane force wind gusts at higher elevations. Yesterday, officials issued a warning for high avalanche danger for the central Sierra Nevada mountains. Bob Oravec, lead forecaster with the National Weather Service in College Park, Maryland, projects as much as eight feet of snow, of snowfall that is, by the time the weekend is over. Anywhere in the uh, Sierra, they get the Tahoe, there's going to be huge impacts with respect to the snow. It'll be very heavy snow across the air, measured in the feet range. So anytime you get that kind of snow totals, and there's going to be a lot of wind with it also. There are blizzard warnings out through much of the Sierra. So travel will be pretty much impossible. That's Bob Oravec, lead forecaster with the National Weather Service. You're listening to NPR News. A simple new test measuring the presence of climate change on screen is being piloted on the nominated feature films at this year's Academy Awards. NPR's Chloe Veltman reports the climate reality check is based on the famous on a famous test which looks at the representation of women on screen. Oscar nominees Barbie, Nyad and Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 all passed the new climate reality check. It's going to be a shooting war. It's going to be a ballistic war over a rapidly shrinking ecosystem. It's going to be a war for the last of our dwindling energy, drinkable water, breathable air. Created by the storytelling consultancy Good Energy and Colby College in Maine, the test measures whether climate change is present in a movie's plot and whether at least one character shows awareness of it. Movies also 
does there need to be set on earth in the present or future to be considered? These rules disqualify more than half of the 31 features up for Academy Awards in 2024, including stories set in the past like Killers of the Flower Moon, with its important message about the dangers of fossil fuels. Chloe Veltman, NPR News. Well, U.S. stocks are trading higher this hour as markets consider the latest snapshot of an inflation gauge favored by the Federal Reserve. Increased three-tenths of a percent from December to January, up from a tenth of a percent the previous month. Prices were up just 2.4 percent from a year earlier. That's down from that 2.6 annual uh, 2.6 percent annual pace in December. The Dow is up 38 points. S&P has risen 20. The Nasdaq is up 98 points. I'm Lakshmi Singh, NPR News. Oscar. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Fisher Investments. Fisher's dedicated team of specialists provide resources on investing, retirement income, estate planning, and more. Learn more at fisherinvestments.com. Investing in securities involves the risk of loss. Good afternoon and welcome to Noon Hour Magazine right here on Allegheny Mountain Radio. This is Heather. It is six minutes after 12 o'clock and 41 degrees here at the Frost Studios. We had lovely sunny skies this morning. Looks like we've got some clouds starting to roll in. We'll let you know more about that weather forecast coming up in a few minutes. In our local news today, we're going to hear about uh, a discussion at the Solid Waste Authority meeting in Pocahontas County about the future of the landfill. We're also going to hear um, about the Economic Recovery Fellow that will be joining the Highland EDA this year. We'll have all of our usual noon hour features coming your way. We've got our weekly sports roundup with Pistol Pete coming your way in the second half of the hour. We're going to get you started with our local news. The Pocahontas County Solid Waste Authority's 2023 annual report released in January estimates that the current landfill has 2.7 years of useful life left in it. Now the Solid Waste Authority is planning for the future of solid waste disposal in the county after the landfill closes. They have been negotiating a purchase deal with the current owner of the land. They had been leasing the landfill property. Currently, after the landfill is closed, they are considering possibly placing a transfer station at the site, which would be where the county's solid waste is collected, then trucked out to landfills in other counties. They would also continue to operate their tire and white goods recycling at the closed landfill site. One problem they have been wrestling with concerning the potential purchase of the landfill property has been determining the exact boundaries for the property. The owner of the landfill property has several areas on the currently leased property which she does not want to include in any sale, including a road used for her farm operations. The county commission had a survey of the property completed, but when the authority member and county commissioner, Jamie Walker, recently walked the property with Chris McComb, the landfill manager, they were unable to find some of the survey stakes and could not find one of the corners as were indicated on the copy of the plat they had. Concerned by this, Walker explained at the February 28th Solid Waste Authority meeting that he also suspected that plat may not include the required 100-foot setback from the property line to the landfill's disposal cells. He said he contacted the surveyor about his concerns, 
and was told it would be checked into. Walker said he has not heard back from the surveyor. Jacob Meck brought a different plat from the surveyor to the meeting. That one shows slightly different setbacks and corners. Walker said that this new plat might reflect corrections to it made after his conversation with the surveyor. If that is so, it appears to resolve his concerns. However, Walker still wants to make sure this is the corrected and final plat and that it includes all the required 100-foot setbacks. Chairman Ed Riley said he still has concerns about who will be responsible for maintaining the fences along the entrance road after the purchase. Member David McLaughlin wanted to know if the county commission purchases the landfill, who will own it, the commission or the Solid Waste Authority? It was pointed out that establishing a transfer station will be expensive with a startup cost of $1.6 million, building a shop will cost another $300,000, and adding a new fence will cost about $36,000. Additionally, there will be annual expenses estimated to be about $73,000. Mary Clendenin said the county commission needs to understand that the funding sources the authority has been relying on will not cover these one-time and ongoing annual operation costs unless there is a long-term financial support commitment by the commission. She pointed out that the commission does have the ultimate responsibility to ensure that the county has reliable solid waste disposal. These issues will be on the agenda for discussion at the county commission's March 5th morning meeting. Also at the meeting, they discussed the state requirement that people disposing of demolition materials at the landfill must provide a negative asbestos inspection. Questions were raised about whether that only applies to industrial demolitions or also to residents who might be just doing some remodeling at their homes. Notices about asbestos inspection requirements have been already sent out to the industrial demolition companies. It was decided that public notices about the inspection requirements should not be sent to the Pocahontas Times for publication since there are already signs forbidding disposal of hazardous materials at the landfill. Regarding the financial report, Mary Clendenin said that they lost $18,639 in January, but that was an operational loss not due to any unusual expenses. Members also approved a bid by Farley Drilling Incorporated of Pineville, West Virginia, to drill a water monitoring well, which meets all state requirements, for $1,450. Tim Walker, Allegheny Mountain Radio News. With more than 500 applications on the table for an Economic Recovery Corps fellow to help build capacity in economically distressed areas across the U.S., the Highland County EDA was thrilled to be one of 65 host sites chosen nationwide to be matched with a fellow who holds the passion, skills, and vision to create new ways of doing economic development. Much of the February 20th meeting of the Highland County EDA centered around introductions for the new ERC fellow appointed to Highland, Landis Hollifield. A native of Marion, North Carolina, Hollifield said she is excited to work with a multifaceted project that is aggressive but realistic, 
fueling her love for seeing small towns and regions thrive. She looks forward to meeting all of the stakeholders, refining the county's strategic plan, and bringing new life to Highland's ongoing economic development efforts. Hollyfield's main focus will be the implementation of a strategic economic development plan in Highland, in collaboration with the Highland Community Development Initiative, or HCDI, The project addresses the unique challenges of our rural mountainous region in Virginia's least populated county. The project's importance lies in reversing the trend of a declining population and revitalizing the county's economy. With a population of 2,200 residents, lack of public transportation and highway access, and reliance on agriculture and tourism, The strategic plan seeks greater economic diversification for Highland with six core tenants. Hollyfield will be instrumental in refining and implementing the established plan, which includes revitalizing the Highland Inn, supporting small businesses, enhancing visitor experiences, and launching a marketing campaign to attract younger residents and remote workers. Collaborating with local partners with backing from the EDA, Hollifield will provide technical assistance and expertise, facilitate meetings, conduct outreach, develop strategies, and oversee the plan's execution. The outcome aims for a rejuvenated Highland County with a stronger economy, more sustainable tourism, and a thriving community. This is honestly a privilege actually coming here to start working. You have a gym, and I hope you all know that. It's a natural mecca. You have a lot of assets here that can really shine, and I'm looking forward to working with all the community partners. Hollyfield has a personal plan that includes a boots-on-the-ground strategy that will be in full effect her first 60 days. She encourages members of the community to contact her for a coffee or stroll around the town walk to express concerns and dreams for our county. For AMR News, I'm Britt Chambers. Support for Allegheny Mountain Radio comes from the Virginia Education Association. Resources for parents and teachers at veanea.org. Because a good education is good for everybody. Dominion Energy is a business supporter of Allegheny Mountain Radio. With over 17,000 employees across 16 states, Dominion works to provide clean energy to nearly 7 million customers. More information about Dominion Energy can be found at dominionenergy.com. It's 15 minutes after 12 o'clock. You're listening to Noon Hour Magazine here on Allegheny Mountain Radio. Winter weather advisory in effect for northwestern Pocahontas and western Highland counties. That goes into effect this evening at 5 p.m. and stays in effect until about 1 a.m. tomorrow morning. Sunny skies this morning, but we are... We're actually at party, partly sunny right now, I would say. We've got increasing clouds moving in today with a chance of rain or snow this afternoon. Highs in the 40s with light and variable winds. A wintry mix is possible tonight. Could, that could mean rain, freezing rain, or snow. Uh, with little or no snow accumulation, but there is a possibility of some ice accumulation ranging anywhere from a tenth in Bath County to a quarter of an inch in the higher elevations of Pocahontas and Highland counties, lows in the 30s with variable winds at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Cloudy with rain likely tomorrow morning then and mainly in the morning hours, 
Then partly sunny in the afternoon. Highs climbing into the low to mid-50s. Doesn't that sound lovely? Light and variable winds. Mostly cloudy tomorrow night. Lows in the upper 30s to the low 40s. Variable winds around 5 miles per hour. Sunny on Sunday with highs in the upper 50s to the low 60s. And partly cloudy Sunday night with lows in the low to mid-40s. Jeanette in Bowler, a high of 39, low 21, 24 this morning. Keith in Bluegrass, high of 40, low 19, 23 this morning. A peak wind gust of 33 miles per hour. Irwin in Slady Fork, high of 35, low 16, 25 degrees this morning. The VDOT Street Sweeper is operating in Highland County this week. They've been uh, in Monterey, Bluegrass, and McDowell, and they would appreciate vehicles not being parked on the street, if at all possible. Pocahontas Parks and Recreation Dance Classes, taught by Adrian Cedarleaf, coming up this afternoon at the Community Wellness Center in Marlinton. Dance Basics for ages 4 to 5 from 3.30 to 4.15, and Intro to Modern Dance for ages 6 to 10, It's from 4.30 to 5.30 p.m. You can get more information about those classes at 304-799-7386. Yoga with Shannon Harriman is this afternoon from 3.45 to 5 p.m. at the Highland Center. The class is for all abilities and skill levels. Bath County Schools looking for businesses and organizations to take part in their career fair. That's coming up on April 12th from 9 to 3 p.m. Um, if the deadline to register is today at 540-839-5307, extension 230. The Highland County Recycling Trailer is at the Bluegrass Ruritan Building today through Sunday. We have several funeral notices to share with you today. Reverend Jerry Roger Weimer, age 75, of Newborn, North North Carolina, passed away on Saturday, February 24th, at Carolina East Medical Center in New Bern. The funeral service will be this afternoon at at 2 p.m. at Obal Funeral Home, a committal service will follow in the Bluegrass Cemetery. The staff of Oball Funeral Home will receive friends. Um, I'm sorry, that was the visiting hours were yesterday. My apologies. Again, that's Reverend Jerry Weimer, who passed away Saturday, February 24th. Memorial contributions may be made to the Church of God at 422 Pine Street in New Bern, North Carolina. Online condolences and memories may be shared at obafuneralhome.com. Constance Connie Ann Corley Matheny, age 90, of Millborough, passed away Tuesday, February 20th, at her daughter's home in Andover, Ohio. The funeral is tomorrow at noon at Woodland Church with her son, Mike Matheny, officiating. Burial will be at the Matheny Family Cemetery. Friends may call tomorrow from 11 a.m. to noon at Woodland Church. Again, that's Constance Connie Ann Corley Matheny of Millboro, who passed away February 20th. 
Memorial donations may be made to the Bath County Historical Society in Warm Springs, Virginia. Online condolences may be shared at mclaughlinandyoung.com. Ruby Jane Kerr Vance, age 75, formerly of Greenbank, passed away Thursday, February 22nd. The funeral will be Saturday, March 1st, March 2nd at 1 p.m. at Liberty Presbyterian Church in Greenbank with Pastor David Rittenhouse. Burial will be at the Arborvale Cemetery Annex. Again, that's Ruby Jane Kerr Vance, formerly of Greenbank, who passed away February 22nd. Memorial donations may be made to a Pocahontas County charity of your choice on her behalf. Online condolences may be shared at wallaceandwallacefh.com. Harley Bub Bayless, age 88, of Richwood, passed away Sunday, February 18th at home. A graveside service will be held tomorrow at 2 p.m. at the Wanless Cemetery in Cass with Pastor Dale Bayless. Again, that's Harley Bub Bayless of Richwood, who passed away February 18th. Online condolences may be shared at LanceFuneralHome.com Dottie Kellison, age 87, of Marlinton, passed away February 22nd at home. The funeral will be Sunday at 2 p.m. at Lance Funeral Home in Buckeye with Pastor David Lee. She will be cremated in keeping with her wishes. Friends may call on Sunday from 1 to 2 p.m. at Lance Funeral Home. Again, that's Dottie L. Kellison of Marlinton, who passed away February 22nd. Online condolences may be, or I'm sorry, memorial donations may be made to the Marlinton Presbyterian Church or to the Pocahontas County Humane Society. Online condolences may be shared at LanceFuneralHome.com. Lacey Hurl Riston, age 85, of Hot Springs, passed away Thursday, February 29th, at home. The funeral will be Tuesday at 2 p.m. at McLaughlin and Young Funeral Home with Pastor Harold Hilton. Burial will be at the Woodland Cemetery. Friends may call one hour prior to the services on Tuesday from 1 to 2 p.m. at McLaughlin and Young Funeral Home. Again, that's Lacey Hurl Riston of Hot Springs, who passed away February 29th. Memorial donations may be made to the Arthritis Foundation in Atlanta, Georgia, or to the American Cancer Society. Online condolences may be shared at mclaughlinandyoung.com. Daily funeral announcements are brought to you by Oba Funeral Home.
With locations in both McDowell and Warm Springs, Virginia, they have served families for over 95 years. Information and online obituaries can be found at obafuneralhome.com. They may be reached at 540-839-3451 for their Bath County location and 540-396-3451 for assistance in Highland County. Stardate March 1st. Many bright stars highlight the sky this evening. Sirius, the brightest of them all, Regulus, the heart of the lion, several sparklers in Orion, and more. Astronomers know a lot about these stars, but most of what they know is a bit uncertain. So when they pin numbers to a star, they give themselves some wiggle room to compensate. Consider Sirius, which is in the south at nightfall, it's one of the sun's closest neighbors at a distance of about 8.6 light years. But that could be off by up to a few percent of a light year either way. That's a total variation of perhaps half a trillion miles. There's a similar uncertainty in the distance to Regulus, the brightest star of Leo, which is in the east at nightfall. It's measured at 79 light years away, give or take that same half a trillion miles. And the uncertainty is much greater for stars like Betelgeuse, an orange supergiant at the shoulder of Orion. It puffs in and out, and its outer layers are so thin that it's hard to tell just where its surface is. That makes it harder to get a fix on its position, so it's harder to measure the distance. Betelgeuse is thought to be roughly 550 light years away, but it could be perhaps 100 light years farther, or 50 light years closer. Without an exact distance, it's hard to determine a star's size, its true brightness, and more. So the stars are pretty well known, but with sometimes big uncertainties. We have more skywatching tips and much more about the universe in Stardate magazine. Details at stardate.org. For the McDonald Observatory, I'm Billy Henry. Stardate comes to you on these stations with the help of the Green Bank Observatory in Green Bank, West Virginia. GBO is a facility of the National Science Foundation. This is Bird Note. For years, nature recordist Lang Elliott came up with clever ways to hear high-pitched bird songs, despite his high-frequency hearing loss. Back in the 70s, he recorded birds on tape at high speed, then played the tape back at half speed. Slowing the songs down also lowered their pitch. And boom! Oh my God, there's twice as many, three times as many birds in the forest singing now as I had perceived. There's this flood of birdsong going on, and I'm detecting a very small part of it. Lang's hearing loss is from a childhood accident, but many people lose their high-frequency hearing due to aging. So there are a lot of birders who, as they get older, they start losing grasshopper sparrow or Cape May warbler, especially the high warblers. Lang teamed up with a programmer to develop an app called Hear Birds Again. Currently, it's only available for Apple devices, but it's able to take high-pitched bird songs and shift them down into a lower range. The app works even better with a special binaural headset so that users can tell whether a sound is coming from the right or left. 
detecting a bird without any spatial element is useful, but what's fun is hearing it as if it's out there in a 3D environment, being able to point toward it, being able to actually go find it. Learn more on our website, birdnote.org. I'm Jonice Franklin. On This Day is presented by the Highland Historical Society. Today is March 1st. On this day in 1944, Charles Montgomery Pullen transferred his bus line to Reynolds Bus Lines of Clarksburg, West Virginia. Mr. Pullen operated a bus line between Monterey and Stanton from 1913 until 1943, wearing out 30 cars in the process, sometimes making 300 round trips a year. Pullen was also co-owner of the Monterey Hotel from 1919 to 1934. From the Farm Credit Studios, this is On the Farm Radio, rural and agricultural news coming up next. Today's program is made possible by Farm Credit, a nationwide financial cooperative serving agriculture and rural America since 1916. Farm Credit provides loans for farms, homes, land, and agribusiness, coverage in every county in all 50 states. It also includes an educational component called Farm Credit Knowledge Center. Information at farmcredit.com. Equal housing lender, NMLS number 456965. You're listening to On the Farm Radio with Jeff Ishii. Farmers and ranchers need to share their stories with the general public so they so they have a better understanding of agriculture. That's according to Trent Luce. He is a very popular sixth-generation Nebraska cattle rancher, and he had this to say on the topic of sharing your story. It's just common sense. It's the basic things that my grandfather knew his entire life and passed on to me. The funny thing about my grandfather, born in 1918, Calvin J. Luce did not go past eighth grade because he had to go home and help the father, help his father on the farm. And in today's world, the basic things that my grandfather knew with an eighth grade education, people have lost sight of. And domestic food, domestic fuel is vital for the health of our nation. And farmers and ranchers should be the ones sharing that story. Trent Luce was one of the keynote speakers at the recent Northeast Agribusiness and Feed Alliance annual meeting in Albany, New York. Our thanks to John Clark with FeedWorks USA for his assistance with this report. You are listening to On the Farm Radio with Jeff Ishii. There's a man in our town who loves to plant and care for trees. We call him Mr. Arbor. A few years ago, we lost some of our trees in a storm. It was Mr. Arbor who organized volunteers and showed us how to care for the damaged trees and plant new ones. You can make a difference in your town, too. For your free conservation trees booklet, call the Arbor Day Foundation toll-free, 1-800-932-1433, or write the Arbor Day Foundation, Nebraska City, Nebraska. A toast to soil health. More and more landowners and their farmers are celebrating healthy soil for good reason. Because farmers who use soil health building practices like no-till and cover crops and who use diverse species and rotations report greater farm productivity, profitability, and resiliency. So here's to your soil's health. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn how to unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. 
Today we send out a big old salute to all of our listeners in Gaylord, Michigan. They're tuned in to radio station WBLW-FM 88.1. Our pearl of wisdom today tells us that throwing mud at a good man only soils your own hands. That's your pearl of wisdom. You're on the farm and I'm Ish. Allegheny Mountain Radio thanks Rockingham Cooperative Ace Hardware for their support of On the Farm. They offer Espoma and Bondi products, seeds, potting soil, and fertilizers. Rockingham Cooperative Ace Hardware is open Monday through Friday, 7.30 till 5, and Saturday, 7.30 till noon. They are located on Wilson Avenue off Main Street in Monterey. Now the latest from VNN, the Virginia News Network. A plea agreement has been reached in the case of a Henrico man charged with murder. 20-year-old Amari Pollard pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and unlawful use of a firearm in the death of Sean Jackson. The 18-year-old Jackson and his stepfather, Renzo Smith, were killed outside the Altria Theater in June of last year, just as Huguenot High School graduation ceremonies concluded. Under the plea deal, Pollard was sentenced to 25 years behind bars. The motive for the shooting came out of a long-running feud between the pair and Pollard. He testified he shot Jackson, believing the victim to be armed. I'm Richard Stelling. Central Shenandoah Health District officials confirm that a raccoon has tested positive for the rabies virus in Rockbridge County. Authorities say the animal is no longer a threat, but was seen in the Valence Way, Village Way, Spencer Court, and Greenhouse Road areas. Rabid animals generally show no fear of humans and exhibit behaviors such as drooling, motor skills issues, and paralysis. CSHD is reminding pet owners to have them vaccinated and to report all exposures to animals to their physician and local health department. A first-of-its-kind mental health treatment facility is open in Henrico County. St. Joseph's Villa held a ribbon-cutting ceremony yesterday for Central Virginia's first youth crisis receiving center. It's meant to be an alternative to the emergency room for youth in a mental health crisis. Officials describe it as a custom-designed space to provide rapid access to behavioral health services. You can get more info at neverstopbelieving.org. The Mega Millions jackpot and Powerball jackpots just keep growing and have combined to surpass the $1 billion mark. The top prize up for grabs in Mega Millions tonight is $607 million, and whoever's lucky enough to match all six numbers for Powerball tomorrow will get at least $443 million. The price of a ticket to play these is just $2 each. I'm Rebecca Hughes. This is VNN, the Virginia News Network. The Weekly Feeder Cattle Report is brought to you by Beverage Construction. They are a general contractor licensed and insured to operate in Virginia. Building since 1978, they offer foundation to finish construction. Their phone number is 540-468-2593. And email is beverageholmes at htcnet.org. It is 25 minutes before 1 o'clock. We have a winter weather advisory in effect for northwestern Pocahontas and western Highland counties from 5 p.m. this evening through 1 a.m. tomorrow morning. Uh, we've got increasing clouds as we move through the afternoon, a chance of rain or snow this afternoon, highs in the 40s. A wintry mix possible tonight could see rain, freezing rain or snow, little or no snow accumulation, possible ice accumulation anywhere from a tenth to a quarter of an inch, lows tonight in the 30s. I wanna wanna wish you a happy birthday. I wanna wanna help you celebrate. 
want to wish Matt Ratcliffe a very happy birthday today. He's celebrating a local birthday. We, uh, he is sharing his birthday today with composer Frederick Chopin, band leader and jazz composer Glenn Miller, former NFL Pete Commissioner Pete Roselle, Calypso singer Harry Belafonte, actor and director Ron Howard, singer Justin Bieber, singer Kesha, 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 I think it is, and actor Alan Thicke and actor Robert Conrad. Hold back the dawn Stop all the clocks I just got the news that my baby wants to rock You're listening to Winoni, Mr. Blues Harris's 1949 chart-topping single All She Wants to Do is Rock And you're on the sound beat Rock and roll all night long Harris dropped out of Creighton University in his hometown of Omaha to join a traveling review. By 1940, he had relocated to L.A. and became a nightclub favorite, performing with the leading orchestras of the day, including Cab Calloway's and Lionel Hampton's. After recording for a series of labels in the late 40s, Harris joined King Records, which released this tune, the most successful of his solo career and his second number one record. And who says blues men aren't poets? The second line, Stop All the Clocks, is said to be an homage to W.H. Auden's 1936 poem of the same name, later renamed Funeral Blues. Get on the beat. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter at On the Soundbeat, and listen to more episodes at soundbeat.org. Soundbeat is produced at the Belfer Audio Archive, Syracuse University Libraries. I'm Brett Berry. Pocahontas Memorial Hospital, located on Route 219 at Buckeye, is a business supporter of Community Radio. They are a critical access hospital and level 4 trauma center. They offer 24-hour emergency room acute care services. Information is available at 304-799-7400 or on the web at pmhwv.org. Hey everyone, this is Pistol Pete Ackeson with the Weekly Sports Roundup. Pocahontas County Schools. The Warriors boys varsity basketball team won two out of three games this past week, losing to Greenbrier West in an away game on Thursday, February 22nd, 80-53, beating Union on Friday, February 23rd, 54-51, and defeating Harmon 63-36 on February 26th, moving the record to 5-18. and Against Union, Wyatt Hendricks scored 15 points, and Carter Van Devender added 11 for Pocahontas. The Warriors girls varsity basketball team won three games in the Class A Region 2 tournament this past week, defeating Tigers Valley 66-44 at home on Thursday, February 22nd, beating Pendleton County 52-49 and against East Hardy 70-49 at home on Tuesday, February 27th, moving their record to 13-11 and earning a berth in the Class A state tournament. Against Tigers Valley, Riley Pollock led Pocahontas with 12 points and Shayla Bennett added 11. Against Pendleton County, Kaylee Props scored 20 points and Olivia Van Devender added 14 to lead the Lady Warriors. Against East Hardy, Props led Pocahontas with 19 points, Allison Taylor added 15, while Van Devender and Pollock added 10 each. 
Bath County Schools. Five girls from Bath County's wrestling team competed in the VHSL Open State Girls State Championship at Garfield High School in Woodbridge on Friday, February 23rd. Samantha Horn and Emily Robertson both went 2-2 two and two with a pair of pins in the event, while Mackenzie Riley, Renee Tuning, and Abby Stone were 0-2. Turning to area colleges, the Virginia Military Cadets men's basketball team played a pair of games this past week, losing to ETSU 82-69 in Johnson City, Tennessee on February 21st and losing to Western Carolina 84-51 at home on February 24th, dropping the record to 4-25. and The men's baseball team hosted Georgetown in a three-game series on February 23rd through the 25th, winning game one 12-1 and losing the next two games 8-1 and 8-5, dropping the record to 3-5 and five overall. The James Madison Dukes men's basketball team continues their winning ways with their 26th victory on February 24th against Georgia Southern at home with an 80-74 to 74 score, moving the record to 26-3. and three. The women's basketball team split a pair of games this past week, beating Georgia Southern 71-65 in Statesboro, Georgia on February 22nd and losing to Appalachian State 83-79 in Boone, North Carolina on February 24th, moving the record to 19-10. The men's baseball team played four games this past week, defeating Virginia Tech 8-7 in Blacksburg on February 21st. The men then hosted Fairfield in a three-game series on February 23rd through the 25th, winning all three by scores of 10-9, 4-2, and 16-4, moving the record to 5-3 overall. The Virginia Cavaliers men's basketball team hosted number 10 North Carolina on February 24th, losing 54-44, dropping the record to 20-8. The women's basketball team picked up a couple of wins this past week, moving the record to 14-13, defeating the University of Miami 77-60 at home on February 22nd and beating number 20 Louisville 73-68 in Louisville, Kentucky on February 25th. The number 14 men's baseball team participated in the Jacks College Baseball Classic in Jacksonville, Florida on February 23rd through the 25th, winning all three games starting by beating Wichita State 5-4 in extra innings, number 18 Iowa 12-9, and Auburn 6-4, moving the record to 7-0. The West Virginia Mountaineers men's basketball team lost two games this past week, losing to number 6 Iowa State on February 24th in Ames, Iowa 71-64, and losing to Kansas State in Manhattan, Kansas on February 26th, 94-90, dropping the record to 9-19. The women's basketball team lost three in a row this past week, losing to number 10 Kansas State on February 21st, 73-64 in overtime, losing to number 24 Baylor, 66-65 at home on February 21st, and losing to Oklahoma State, 68-61 in Stillwater, Oklahoma on February 27th, moving the record to 22-6. and The men's baseball team traveled to Charlotte, North Carolina to play Charlotte in a four-game series, winning two games, 12-8 and 8-1, and losing two, 3-2 and 6-5, moving the record to 4-4. The Virginia Tech Hokies men's basketball team lost two road games this past week, losing to Pitt 79-64 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on February 24th, and losing to Syracuse 84-71 in Syracuse, New York on February 27th, moving the record to 15-13. The number eight women's basketball team hosted North Carolina in a conference matchup on February 25th, winning 74-62, moving the records at 23-4.
The men's baseball team played four games this past week, losing to James Madison 8-7 to in Harrisonburg, Virginia, on February 21st, then winning all three games in a series against Rhode Island 18-3, 7-2, and 14-2 on February 23rd-25th, improving the record to 6-2. and The Liberty Flames men's basketball team traveled to Miami, Florida to play FIU on February 22nd, losing 76-71, dropping the record to 16-11. The women's basketball team hosted FIU on February 22nd, winning 71-56, improving the record to 13-14. The men's baseball team lost to number 12 Duke 4-2 in Durham, North Carolina on February 21st and then hosted Hofstra in a three-game series on February 23rd through the 25th, winning one game 9-4 and losing two 9-7 and 12-6, dropping the record to 4-3. Information for this report came from Mark Pfeiffer of The Recorder, Flow Wrestling, Max Preps, FlashResults.com, and individual school websites. For more detailed information and scores, please visit this story on AMR's website. This has been Pistol Pete Ackerson for Allegheny Mountain Radio News. Here's today's edition of Health in a Heartbeat. Scientists had long wondered why Northern Europe had the world's highest prevalence of multiple sclerosis. Thanks to the world's largest ancient human gene bank, which includes bones and teeth from nearly 5,000 humans who lived across Western Europe and Asia as long as 34,000 years ago, it's no longer a mystery. A United Kingdom-led research team traced the spread of multiple sclerosis, or MS, from its origins in what is now Ukraine, southwest Russia, and west Kazakhstan, to northwestern Europe. The disease walked its way across the land, traveling along with the Yamnaya people, who with their sheep, cattle, and newfangled wheeled wagons were a population-defining migration. Europeans today are a genetic mixture of three ancestral populations— hunter-gatherers, first farmers, and what had been considered an unknown ancient northern Eurasian population from the east. Those were the Yamnayans. The Yamnayans carried with them the genetic variants associated with the risk of developing MS. In their case, the genes were a blessing, likely shielding them from infections they might otherwise have caught from their herded animals. The researchers analyzed data from a new gene bank of ancient DNA created in the past five years. The gene bank is the first of its kind in the world. The tested bones and teeth are in museums that span from Europe to Western Asia. The researchers hope to glean more from the relics about the roots of autism, bipolar disorder, ADHD, depression, and schizophrenia. So spare a moment, if you will, for our hunter-gatherer, iron-tool-wielding, and even our marauding Viking ancestors. What they left behind may help us all. This edition of Health in a Heartbeat is brought to you by University of Florida Health, committed to advancing excellence in patient care, research, and education, and by WUFTFM. For more information or to subscribe to our weekly e-newsletter, please visit our website, heartbeatradio.org. The Pocahontas County Opera House is a supporter of Allegheny Mountain Radio, a 250-seat historic theater located in Marlinton, West Virginia. The Pocahontas County Opera House Foundation presents an annual performance series of both local and international musicians, theater groups, and other performers. More information is available at PocahontasOperaHouse.org. Record Renewable Energy in Scotland. I'm Randy Simon, and this is EarthWise, a look at our changing environment. 
The Scottish government recently announced that in 2022, renewable technologies in that country produce the equivalent of 113% of Scotland's electricity consumption. Fossil fuels still supplied electricity in Scotland, helping to fill in gaps in renewable power, but the government figures showed that the growing amount of Scottish renewable generation can easily generate more power than the country uses. Scotland has seen significant growth in wind power, as well as a small drop in overall electricity consumption. Scotland, with a population of only 5.5 million, aims to produce enough renewable power to both meet its own demand and export clean electricity to other countries. The UK is the obvious potential customer, but it will need to upgrade its national power grid and develop enough capacity to store up surplus wind and solar power. The UK itself is drawing less power from natural gas and coal than it has at any point in the last 66 years. Fossil fuels supplied only 33% of British electricity in 2023, while renewables supplied 43%. Fossil fuel use in Britain peaked in 2008. Since then, power from natural gas has fallen nearly in half, while coal power has dropped by 97%. The UK has aggressive decarbonization goals in place, but the current Conservative government under Prime Minister Sunak has recently set about weakening British climate policy. Meanwhile, the Scottish government is talking about becoming a global renewables powerhouse and is making investments aimed at achieving it. Earthwise is a production of WAMC. Find us on social media at WAMC Radio and listen anytime at WAMCpodcasts.org. It's 10 minutes before 1 o'clock. Winter weather advisory in effect for northwestern Pocahontas and western Highland from 5 p.m. this evening until 1 a.m. tomorrow morning. Increasing clouds today with a chance of rain or snow and highs in the 40s. A wintry mix tonight of rain, freezing rain, or snow possible. Little or no snow accumulation could see some ice accumulation, however. Lows tonight in the 30s. Cloudy tomorrow with rain likely mainly in the morning, then partly sunny in the afternoon. Highs in the low to mid 50s. Mostly cloudy tomorrow night. Lows in the upper 30s to the low 40s. Sunny on Sunday with highs in the upper 50s to the low 60s. Partly cloudy Sunday night with lows in the low to mid 40s. We're going to have another listen to our local news stories. The Pocahontas County Solid Waste Authority's 2023 annual report released in January estimates that the current landfill has 2.7 years of useful life left in it. Now the Solid Waste Authority is planning for the future of solid waste disposal in the county after the landfill closes. They have been negotiating a purchase deal with the current owner of the land. They had been leasing the landfill property. Currently, after the landfill is closed, they are considering possibly placing a transfer station at the site, which would be where the county's solid waste is collected, then trucked out to landfills in other counties. They would also continue to operate their tire and white goods recycling at the closed landfill site. One problem they have been wrestling with concerning the potential purchase of the landfill property has been determining the exact boundaries for the property. The owner of the landfill property has several areas on the currently leased property which she does not want to include in any sale, including a road used for her farm operations. 
The county commission had a survey of the property completed, but when the authority member and county commissioner, Jamie Walker, recently walked the property with Chris McComb, the landfill manager, they were unable to find some of the survey stakes and could not find one of the corners as were indicated on the copy of the plat they had. Concerned by this, Walker explained at the February 28th Solid Waste Authority meeting that he also suspected that plat may not include the required 100-foot setback from the property line to the landfill's disposal cells. He said he contacted the surveyor about his concerns and was told it would be checked into. Walker said he has not heard back from the surveyor. Jacob Meck brought a different plat from the surveyor to the meeting. That one shows slightly different setbacks and corners. Walker said that this new plat might reflect corrections to it made after his conversation with the surveyor. If that is so, it appears to resolve his concerns. However, Walker still wants to make sure this is the corrected and final plat and that it includes all the required 100-foot setbacks. Chairman Ed Riley said he still has concerns about who will be responsible for maintaining the fences along the entrance road after the purchase. Member David McLaughlin wanted to know if the county commission purchases the landfill, who will own it, the commission or the Solid Waste Authority? It was pointed out that establishing a transfer station will be expensive with a startup cost of $1.6 million, building a shop will cost another $300,000, and adding a new fence will cost about $36,000. Additionally, there will be annual expenses estimated to be about $73,000. Mary Clendenin said the county commission needs to understand that the funding sources the authority has been relying on will not cover these one-time and ongoing annual operation costs, unless there is a long-term financial support commitment by the Commission. She pointed out that the Commission does have the ultimate responsibility to ensure that the county has reliable solid waste disposal. These issues will be on the agenda for discussion at the County Commission's March 5th morning meeting. Also at the meeting, they discussed the state requirement that people disposing of demolition materials at the landfill must provide a negative asbestos inspection. Questions were raised about whether that only applies to industrial demolitions or also to residents who might be just doing some remodeling at their homes. Notices about asbestos inspection requirements have been already sent out to the industrial demolition companies. It was decided that public notices about the inspection requirements should not be sent to the Pocahontas Times for publication since there are already signs forbidding disposal of hazardous materials at the landfill. Regarding the financial report, Mary Clendenin said that they lost $18,639 in January, but that was an operational loss not due to any unusual expenses. Members also approved a bid by Farley Drilling Incorporated of Pineville, West Virginia, to drill a water monitoring well, which meets all state requirements, for $1,450. Tim Walker, Allegheny Mountain Radio News. With more than 500 applications on the table for an Economic Recovery Corps fellow to help build capacity in economically distressed areas across the U.S., 
The Highland County EDA was thrilled to be one of 65 host sites chosen nationwide to be matched with a fellow who holds the passion, skills, and vision to create new ways of doing economic development. Much of the February 20th meeting of the Highland County EDA centered around introductions for the new ERC fellow appointed to Highland, Landis Hollifield. A native of Marion, North Carolina, Hollifield said she is excited to work with a multifaceted project that is aggressive but realistic, feeling her love for seeing small towns and regions thrive. She looks forward to meeting all of the stakeholders, refining the county's strategic plan, and bringing new life to Highland's ongoing economic development efforts. Hollifield's main focus will be the implementation of a strategic economic development plan in Highland in collaboration with the Highland Community Development Initiative, or HCDI, the project addresses the unique challenges of our rural mountainous region in Virginia's least populated county. The project's importance lies in reversing the trend of a declining population and revitalizing the county's economy. With a population of 2,200 residents, lack of public transportation and highway access, and reliance on agriculture and tourism, the strategic plan seeks greater economic diversification for Highland with six core tenants. Hollyfield will be instrumental in refining and implementing the established plan, which includes revitalizing the Highland Inn, supporting small businesses, enhancing visitor experiences, and launching a marketing campaign to attract younger residents and remote workers. Collaborating with local partners with backing from the EDA, Hollifield will provide technical assistance and expertise, facilitate meetings, conduct outreach, develop strategies, and oversee the plan's execution. The outcome aims for a rejuvenated Highland County with a stronger economy, more sustainable tourism, and a thriving community. This is honestly a privilege actually coming here to start working. You have a gym. And I hope you all know that. It's a natural mecca. You have a lot of assets here that can really shine, and I'm looking forward to working with all the community partners. Hollyfield has a personal plan that includes a boots-on-the-ground strategy that will be in full effect her first 60 days. She encourages members of the community to contact her for a coffee or stroll around the town walk to express concerns and dreams for our county. For AMR News, I'm Britt Chambers. Just about time for me to wrap things up here on uh, Noon Hour Magazine. We had a jam-packed hour today, all kinds of things going on. We've got Ozark Highlands Radio coming up at 1 o'clock and then at 2 o'clock at the TGIF Bluegrass with your host, DJ Willie. You've been listening to Noon Hour Magazine here on Allegheny Mountain Radio, WVMR Frost, West Virginia, WVLS Monterey, Virginia, WCHG Hot Springs, Virginia, WVMR FM Hillsboro, West Virginia, WNMP Marlinton, West Virginia, WDMT Marlinton, West Virginia, W278AL Durban, West Virginia, and online at AlleghenyMountainRadio.org. Hope you have a great afternoon and a wonderful weekend. It's one o'clock.